Welcome everyone to the Really Big Fan Podcast. We've got a uh, our longest episode yet today with our uh, special guest, Erica Banis. And uh, we've got, of course, the headlines we're going to hit. We're going to talk about uh, our serotonin boost. And uh, as always, I'll introduce you to my co-host, Acronym. Hello, hello. How are we doing today? And I want to emphasize something real quick because I'm the one that drinks the caffeine in this house. I'm the one that's really crazy into pop culture references and things like that. So I want to say that we have our first female guest today. It's true. The first female guest. Won't be the last. Won't be the last. And I need to tell you about this woman just before we get started because she's an award-winning WW. She is always right. She is a rock reporter and a music maven across all genres of music. And she is half of the uh, One Fall Show podcast tag team champions, Mankind with PMS, Erica motherfucking Bannis. I know. I, I, I think that this is, with the show being retired, I think the championships may have also been retired. But now I still have my championships. <laughs> I will hold that championship till my test. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Erica is going to be joining us today to talk from her love of the creator of Gilmore Girls, whose name escapes me. Amy Sherman Palladino. There you go. Uh, which is not uh, not a good sign for how much I will have learned by the time today is over. I'll throw you some fat, like really softballs. Okay, I hope so. Yeah. Um, so without further ado, let's get started. Let's hit them headlines. <laughs> this week is uh, Freak Out of Day. It's coming up on uh, Saturday. Uh, May the, I think it's the 6th, I want to say. Um, and uh, for Free Comic Book Day, a lot of comic book companies try and make sure they put their best foot forward for Free Comic Book Day. And DC Comics has published Batman 900 this week, or uh, issue 135 of the current run of Batman. It features uh, Batman fighting a version of the Red Hood in like a multiverse and chasing him through a Batman multiverse. And he visits, without spoiling... I just want to say I flipped through it and he visits every kind of major relevant Batman multiverse you could imagine, whether it's uh, the the 66 show or the animated series or even some others that you're like, holy crap, I can't believe they went there. So uh, if you're a Batman fan or if you're just, you know, a comic book fan, then it's definitely worth taking taking a look-see through. I'm not a big Batman person myself. And I was like, that's neat. That's all right. Also, uh, The Legend of Zelda, Tears of the Kingdom is supposed to come out May the 12th, but uh, according to Kotaku, people are getting their hands on it like two weeks early, Um, and they even posted an article uh, this morning about things we're learning from the leaks from people who have gotten the game two weeks early. Uh, I saw there's a bit of a kerfuffle on Twitter because some people are like, "This this is why Kotaku doesn't have a lot of respect in the gaming community, and then there's other people that like, Nintendo comes down so hard on people all the time that like fuck them. Tell us, tell us about the game we're excited about two weeks early. We don't give a shit. I mean, at this point, everything is just anarchy, so it happens. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't know exactly where I fall, and I know I like reading the Kotaku articles, but I know that like it seems like that's with any uh, source, any media outlet. Like, there's always people on, especially on Twitter. That are like, that place is garbage, and let me tell you why. And I've even been one of those people about certain media sources. 
there's there's two ways to cut this. First of all, Kotaku sounds a lot like the BuzzFeed for nerds. Yeah, kind of. Uh, because people really like hate BuzzFeed as well. But like on the flip side of the thing, it's like, you know, if somebody's talking about that, unfortunately, that's how media works. You know, when I used to be part of a media machine, you were very tailored to what you're allowed to talk about. Yeah. But also on the flip side, it's like, well, we got to get the hits. We got to get the clickbait. And I, for one, am not a fan of clickbait. But the second thing is people on Twitter are just miserable. So no matter what, they're not happy. Like people go to Twitter to bitch about things. Right. Exactly. Nobody's bitching about us yet. Not yet. We're not big enough yet. I guess. We gotta piss people off some more. All right. We gotta be crazy about it. Yeah, we'll have to get some hot takes. Maybe we'll have to start a new segment with a hot take. I, I, I know a hot take I could do right now. All right. The first segment, the first hot take <laughs> segment on Really Big Fan Pod. Acronym. Hit us with a hot take. Make the internet angry. All right. Internet get angry at the fact that you can put whoever the hell you want into the rock hall. They don't have to be a rock group. Amen. Like, they, there's there's no reason for that. And honestly, like, that is something, because I say this because the Rock Hall not, inductees have been announced this morning. We've got Kate Bush, Cheryl Crow, Missy Elliott, George Michael, Willie Nelson, Rage Against the Machine, The Spinners, DJ Cool Herc, Link Ray, Shaka Khan, Al Cooper, Bernie Taubin, and Don Cornelius. Now, once you got past the spinners and Shaka Khan, I have no clue who the rest of those people are. (laughs) But, like, the big ones are Kate Bush, Cheryl Crow, Missy Elliott, George Michael, Willie Nelson, and Rage Against the Machine. Like, out of those guys, that's... It's amazing, but you look at that as well and go, like, okay, well, Rage Against the Machine is really the only rock rock act in that group. Yeah, but God bless Willie Nelson. Oh, yeah, of course. Like, and no hate to Willie Nelson whatsoever. Right. But, like, you look at that and go, like, this is not what, it's not ACDC. It's not Metallica. It's not, like, those considered rock genres. And every year I watch people, even radio station personnel, fighting people online about this because it's, like, no matter what, rock wasn't even, like, not to, not to go on the political side, but rock was not a white person's thing. Sure. That, that was brought forth by many black artists. Yeah. And black artists' music has also involved, uh, evolved from, you know, just rock to having hip-hop and all of these other things as well. Exactly. So I feel like rock and roll is more of a state of mind, and that's the reason why I feel that way. That's exactly what I was going to But say. there are other people like Chris Jericho, for instance, who is really pissed about this and was tweeting about this this morning. Right. And you just look at that and go like, did you think Fozzie was going to get in? Because <laughs> they weren't. I mean, Judas was a big deal, but it only, it's still going to be It's a only a big deal because it's a wrestling theme. <laughs> it's still going to be a while. I'm, I'm sorry, Chris Jericho. I'm not trying to be mean, but... <laughs> there you go. You're picking a fight with Chris Jericho, who at one time said that you were the best part of the show <laughs> that we were previously doing. Well, it's a bad take. I'm sorry, man. It's a hot take. No, I mean, his, his is a bad take. Oh, his is a bad, his right. is a bad take. All right. Let people be in the rock hall, damn it. Yeah. That's... So there you go. There's my... There's my... Fla- my uh, my hot take for today. There you go. Clip, <laughs> clip that. Stick it on the internet. Get us some. It's people off. Get us some pissed off viewers. <laughs> uh, a couple more things I wanted to hit. They released the teaser to Twisted Metal, that's going to be on the Peacock Network this summer. Uh, uh, last Friday, uh, it features our first view of Samoa Joe as Sweet Tooth, uh, which is going to be fascinating. It'll be fascinating to see if he voices the character as well as plays. Like physically, he's the right build for that character but also it's 
Like we watched that show. I can't even remember what it was called. It was Blood Drive. Yeah. On friggin' Sci-Fi Channel. Mm-hmm. Like that was essentially Twisted Metal. Was like it? it's that. Like the cars don't run on blood, but it's just like it's just car combat. Like it's just Fast and Furious, the video game. Uh, you know, from I don't know. I'm sure they're gonna do a good job. I mean, they've made Halo. They're doing a Gran Turismo movie. Um, you know, they because the Super Mario movie was good. Like you can translate video games into TV shows and movies, and it does work. But like Twisted Metal seems so like such a basic game premise. Like we're all gonna get in these cars with these wild characters, and we're going to drive around and shoot at each other with missiles and machine guns. That like, okay, I guess we'll see. I I did like Blood Drive. I'm sad I didn't finish it, but it, it like they ended their one season, but it was it very, was crazy. It was crazy. I think part of it was I liked it because the guy that was the lead played Thad Castle in Blue Mountain State. Sure. And yes, I did watch all of Blue Mountain State. It's awful and amazing. A recognizable uh, star goes a long <laughs> way when it comes to anything, whether it's a TV or Very true. Uh, to make you go like, oh, well, now I'm interested because I know that guy's face. Yeah, I think I did that when we saw the Indiana Jones trailer for the new one and I was yeah. like, Oh my God, it's Mads. Yep. And like instantaneously, I'm so much more interested because Mads Mickelson's there. Right, exactly. Uh, the last thing I wanted to uh, hit on is that they announced last week the voice cast for next summer's Transformers animated movie that's going to be on Cybertron, Transformers 1. Orion Pax, who is uh, who Optimus Prime was before he was Optimus Prime, will be voiced by Chris Hemsworth. Uh, his... Uh, kind of on-again, off-again girlfriend in the cartoons. Alita 1 is going to be voiced by Scarlett Johansson. Keegan-Michael Key will be Bumblebee. And the guy who played uh, Miles Morales' dad, Jefferson, in the Spider-Verse movies, Brian uh, Tyree Henry, will be Megatron. And it's supposed to take place before the war. So, like, Megatron and Orion Pax will probably be good, you know, buddies. This will show you where the the lover's quarrel begins. (laughs) between the two of them definitely an interesting notable cast for that i wouldn't have pegged any of those people to play that i think no the megatron one is the only one i'm like yeah that makes sense right but like lawrence fishburne and john ham are also going to be in it oh wow as different characters but um i really hope lawrence fishburne has a delivery like use the ladies room from (laughs) hannibal in one of his lines or else it's not worth it it's kind of like you why do you hire samuel l jackson if he doesn't get to drop an f-bomb exactly exactly which speaking of not to go talking into too much guardians of the galaxy stuff but there is a clip circulating in which there will be an f-bomb in the first guardians movie Mm -hmm. and i'm wondering how samuel l jackson is taking that news yeah because it's not him (laughs) <laughs> I won't say who it is because I don't want to spoil it for you. I also feel but, if the Marvel Cinematic Universe was going to have its first F-bomb, that's the crew that would drop it. Absolutely. Guardians between, of the Galaxy. Between Rocket and Star-Lord and even Gamora to some degree. Like, if somebody in the Marvel Cinematic <laughs> Universe was going to drop an F-bomb, it'd probably be somebody in that crew. <laughs> I'm going to round out our news today with one more headline. Okay. And this jumps from Guardians to James Gunn to DC side of things. Obviously, we heard Pixie's Where Is My Mind in the Suicide Squad movie. And he'd been saying he wanted to use that for years. But it was one of those things where, like, it didn't land right for a Marvel movie. But with DC, he has more, you know, corrupted control with that. Uh, 
uh, that song is in the headlines today because apparently last year Google rolled out a feature that had users to turn off their alarms by just saying stop. But a lot of people had where is my mind as their alarm. Uh. So when they start the <laughs> song and she goes, stop, stop, it was shutting people's alarms off. That has caused people to sleep through it or miss their alarm, and the Pixies have released an apology. That's funny. Or that. Who wakes up to where is my mind? I mean, it's an interesting choice. I I would pick Chop Suey from System of a Down to Abruptly Scary. I guess the, the snare roll at the beginning is, like, kind of loud. might wake you up, but, like... I would assume it's, like, a soft... Because if you start from the beginning, it's yeah. very quiet. That's what I... And then once you hit that first, like... Like, you're you're better off, like, choosing a Nirvana song or even a Green Day song where they really, really messed with the quiet, loud songwriting style. Yeah, it depends on if you want to be scared awake or if you want to gradually wake. Like, if I think that's what that is. If you have then then it would be, like... You know, he'd be the verse, and then he'd come in with a yeah, yeah, and it would wake you up. But says the guy that is the love child of Billy Corgan and Kurt Cobain. That's true. All right, all right. We gotta hydrate, and we gotta move on to our interview. It's true. So we're gonna do that now with Miss Eric Cabanis, who we love immensely. It's very true. I, I really want to stress how much I love Erica. And I, I know that some of you nerds are not interested in Gilmore Girls, but just let us have our fun. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll be back with the Really Big Fan Podcast and Erica Bannis next. We are back on the Really Big Fan Podcast. And today we have, as I already introduced earlier, Miss Erica Bannis. How you doing? I, I, you are touching me at a very unique time in my life. So it, let, let me just briefly go into this. I have easily had the best start of a week ever. Um, okay. Yesterday, we had a dishwasher installed in, in our house. We have been without one for eight months. You know, we had a dishwasher and my husband and I lived in our apartment. We moved here. There was no dishwasher. And we're like, eh. We'll get one eventually, and, and we finally did. And um, I I can't remember the last time I've been this happy. <laughs> I don't I don't remember. Isn't it and, interesting how that happens? It's like when you're in your twenties, you're like, oh man, I'm going to this concert, I'm doing this thing, and then when you're in your like thirties, you're like, I really love dishwashers. I have kitchenware. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's just the fact that, like, eight months of scrubbing and washing everything by hand, I swear, like, the, the very nice man that installed it, I'm like, I think his name is Tim, I'm like, Tim, you got, like, I want to, I want to cry. <laughs> right now. This is I want to give you a hug, thank you, thank and you so much. Tucker Carlson and Don Lemon both got fired, I'm like, what a day, oh, <laughs> everything's coming up, Erica. <laughs> so uh, you're coming on today because you want to talk about Amy Sherman Palladino properties. Yes. yes. Um. Obviously, I know a lot about Gilmore Girls. I speak the language. I drink the coffee. I know the things. But for for this one right here, yeah, I, I he, know nothing. He knows nothing. So we're going to teach him today the the marvels 
of this. Okay. And okay. there will be a quiz. Okay. So you got to pay attention. All right. Okay. <laughs> Great. Now you added that caveat of pressure. <laughs> yeah. It's a quiz on him, not a quiz on you. So you're fine. Okay. <laughs> all right. All right. So um, the first thing I wanted to ask is obviously like, I assume that your first intro to Amy Sherman Palladino was Gilmore Girls, or was it before that something like a couple of the Roseanne episodes? Um, it, it was Gilmore Girls. It wasn't until like I, I think I really got into the fandom where I started doing the deep dive on on Amy um, and learning like about how yeah she started off like her big break was in the writers' room for Roseanne, and I guess. Yeah, she had like two different entertainment paths at that point. She was a writer, but she was also a dancer. So there are, so what, okay. So in mental preparation for this show, I realized, oh my God, I love this woman so much because once again, this is where the vanity comes in. I, I feel like she's very, like, I'm very much like her. Yeah, because uh, yeah. you know what? I, okay. One of my things was going to be, so is the hat thing that you do much inspired by Amy or is that just something that happened and it's so cool? She's got this like crazy amount of hats. Okay. Yeah. Like any, so like you can look up photos of Amy Sharon Palladino. I don't know why I'm holding my microphone right here right now. I'm just <laughs> right so excited. The, the hat thing was, I think, part of the, I'm like, we both make hats like coffee we both used to dance we both live on pop culture references and dropping them casually just to see if anyone notices and i'm like oh my god this <laughs> this could be like a lost auntie yeah um, soul sister I, of some I, sort <laughs> yeah and 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 it's i highly recommend uh looking up any of her anytime she's like talking um, yeah specifically like when she won emmy's for the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, her acceptance speech is top drawer. Fantastic. <laughs> it looks like, she, like she's partial to the top hat. The quick search. I love a good top hat. I have <laughs> one. I have two actually. Wasn't one, your Stevie one a top hat? Yes. That's yes. My, that's more of a. I, I for those of you who have the backstory. <laughs> Uh, since you know the three of us have a history with each other, I was Stevie next to Halloween one year i bought this really cool costume top hat that's it's just it's very cool uh but then i was in philadelphia for work and i stumbled upon this uh this, this hat shop and then i found like this leather top hat and it's got that good leather smell mm-hmm. and, and, and then i'm like well it's it, this is mine now it's my hat <laughs> was it the one hat. you had to mail from there yes uh because i i only packed a carry-on I should have thought like, you know, you should maybe, you know, you might do some shopping now. And like, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, I didn't think that went through. So this, the place of work where I was visiting, we're like, we can mail the hat to you. I'm like, yes, score. Because I would have looked crazy walking through like, uh, cause I wore a hat, you know, f- from Detroit to Philadelphia. I would surely look silly wearing a hat, carrying a hat. <laughs> Oh, hello. I don't look suspicious at all. I, you I switch look- hats in the middle of the afternoon at noon every day. The, the hat has to switch. You <laughs> well, would look like a Batman villain walking through the uh, 
the airport. Well, additionally, okay, and then we'll get back to Amy Schroeder, you know, um, I was clearly suspicious to TSA because when they looked, they, you know, they ran my, my thing through the, the, my, my theory onto the x-ray, they, they, they pulled it over and I'm like, okay. And of course, everything in there is dirty and they're going through just nasty drawers and, and everything. And they found the little urn that had my brother's ashes in it. Oh, and I no. took his I know I took his ashes. Like yeah, you know, there were no more ashes in there at, at that point. Yeah, um, I, I had scattered his ashes on the steps of the Philadelphia Museum of Art with the Rocky steps because he's a big Rocky fan. So they, they, so they're examining this this what looks to be a paperweight. They're very confused. I go, if, if I may, um, that's a mini urn, and yeah. I think those are my exact first like words. Because <laughs> <laughs> then they're like, okay. And then eventually, like, someone else talked to someone else. They're like, she can go. So I'm like, oh, thank you. <laughs> but anyway, Amy Sherman Palladino. And honestly, the, the way we're talking now is kind of, it, it's, it's to say, I, I mean, I clearly am inspired by, you know, her writing, her, the cadence with which she writes. At the same time, though, this is kind of how I grew up too. So I, I think it, there was definitely there was a there was a comfort watching, especially Gilmore Girls, because there's obviously you know I'm I'm very close to my mother. She didn't have me when she was sixteen, uh, but like there is this there is a very there is a closeness there that is akin to Lorelai and Rory that I definitely identify with. And then oddly enough, like my dad who is is basically when you look at richard gilmore uh you know he's you know my dad's basically like the, the blue collar richard gilmore you know <laughs> he, he, like there, there's 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 an integrity about him um there's a, a sort of seriousness about him but like he can still like have a good laugh every now and again like there there's just there there was very unique parallels watching this show and then you know also an undercurrent in all of her properties is Music, um, if you recall, um, Paul Anka. <laughs> I mean, well, first of all, they named the dog Paul Anka, obvious. Uh, but like, you look at someone like Lane, who is Rory's best friend, who is like music obsessed. There are there are like passages from Lane alone where I'm like, okay, yeah, that's. I feel like that 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 was me. That, that was that's that yeah. Was me that character is really solid, and like down the line, then you end up getting um Sebastian Bach as a guest star to play in their band, and he's way older than everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> it would just—it's really funny. First of all, like okay, so Sebastian Bach plays a, a guy named Gil who joins the local band, and um, probably one of my I, I like I. I also secretly hope Sebastian Bach is like that, and I think he is because I, I mean he's like a decent actor. Like he's done like stage work and, and whatnot. But I'm like really feel like maybe Sharon Palladino wrote this and said like, hey, can we get Sebastian Bach? This guy is basically Sebastian Bach, and they're like, is he available? And then he went now, yeah. and then yeah. <laughs> he, he had a fun character from what i can remember it's been a while since i've watched all of those seasons because i've watched them a couple times especially for some reason i would watch and this is no surprise to him there were specific seasons that i like i would stop at yeah that i'd watch repeatedly and i felt like i watched like the first couple seasons over and over and over again 
but like as she got into like deeper into college and was like with Logan and stuff, I kind of only have watched that once or twice. And there's so much. And I feel like this is something that we can expand on a little bit is there's so much world building that she does in Gilmore Girls. Like everybody in the town is an integral part to the story. It's not just just Lorelai and Rory, who are a mother and daughter duo, essentially. Okay. Um, and Lorelai had Rory when she was very young. It was like one of those like unwed pregnancy situations or whatever. But um, this whole town, it's almost like one of those it takes a village to raise a child situation. But oh, yeah. like Rory is very capable and very good at being in a like a uh, an older soul because of the way that her and her mother are. But at the same time, everybody's so intricately involved. Like you're talking, like you have the neighborhood, you've got Taylor Dozy being so controlling over the city or whatever, and you have Babette and the dance teacher, and I'm blanking on the name there. Yes, but um, and, and even Kirk, Kirk does half the world building on his own, which is sean gunn okay so he he and i was actually looking this up um the first like episode he's not even named kirk he's named something else and then later on he's introduced as kirk and then is kirk the rest of the time but the way that it's funny i'm going to tie this into a nerd thing real quick how sean gunn has been so involved in all of like the guardian stuff and everything else because his brother is james gunn that the director he has played multiple characters within the MCU as well. So it, it was thinking about it today. I'm just going, wow, Sean Gunn is just like, he's that guy that they're like, we're going to stick you in all the roles. But that was actually his role in Gilmore Girls was he did everything in the city. Anytime you went to a specific location, you went to a coffee shop, you went uh, down the street to the store. He was working there. He's basically the way that um, so what you're uh, Stacy Pilgrim is. What you're saying is or Sean Gunn Stacey is the Pilgrim. cornerstone of whatever project he's a part of. Pretty much, yes. That's what I'm saying is that we need to give Sean Gunn more credit. Sure. <laughs> but yeah, it's very much like um, not not Stacy Pilgrim, but um, what is uh, Audrey Plaza's name and uh, Julie? Julie. Yeah. It's just like that. Yeah. Every character, like every story you go to, is Kirk. Right. <laughs> So what did you how do you feel about that world building? Like, do you think I'm kind of hitting the nail on the head with that, where it's like the whole town is very invested in who they are? Oh, yeah. I mean, they're they're invested in obviously the normal, but I think it's just the town as a, as a whole. And it, it's it's just this this very lush. Um, just living experience. I think one of my favorite jokes, though, about it. I can't remember who, yeah, I'm sure it was on Twitter, but someone's like, yeah, Gilmore Girls uh, made me fantasize about a, a, living in a walkable city. Uh, <laughs> it's true. It's true. Because, they only had one blinking light in town. Right. And like, they have like the town square and they have the various like, you know, offshoot neighborhoods. But like, it, you know, there's, there's an innocence, there's a quaintness, especially in those early seasons. And like, it's so funny reading like retrospective pieces on it and like, yeah, seeing people that are like, you know, I really didn't care for those seasons. Like, I love those early seasons because it was a, it was just, it was simple. Mm-hmm. It, it, you know, I did, you know, there were, the, the the problems were very black and white. And in once Lori gets into college and gets kind of introduced, really, uh, to like some of the more rich kids uh, for background for for Chuck, um, Lorelai, the mom, 
you know, her she grew up in a very well-to-do family. Uh, you know, her father is uh, like a high-profile like insurance guy. Uh, either way, they like they're low. Um, so like when she took Rory and basically left to start off on her own because like she just couldn't live in that existence anymore. Like she basically, you know, put behind all that those rich luxuries. Um, but then, you know, the whole premise of like at the start of the show, um, Lorelai gets Rory into this really high profile crack school. Um, that's you know, the dream was for Rory to go to Harvard and like this fancy schmancy school was going to get her. And the problem was, you know, I couldn't afford the tuition. So what does she do? She has to go to her parents, ask for help with tuition. And then because she's been kind of absentee for years, you know, the mom puts a caveat on it, like, okay, we will pay for this, but the two of you have to come to dinner here every Friday so we can, like, be a family. So, like, she makes that sacrifice for, you know, to better Rory's education. But some would argue that, like, by doing that, she, you know, Rory then goes into that whole rich society world. And I think, I think Rory is actually a total piece of shit. Like, she's <laughs> probably one of my least favorite characters um, as, as the series goes on. And especially in the, uh, not the reboot, but, like, the the sequel movie series that uh, Netflix uh, did. Um, but yeah, like, like that's obviously like my in-route to Asia and California, but like the second show, um, she did a show for, I think it was ABC Family at the time, it was called Bunheads. Bunheads was about a dance studio. Um, well, like the whole part, okay, so it opens with um, a showgirl. This showgirl uh, played by um, Sutton Foster, uh, who's actually from Troy, Michigan. Uh, she's oh, wow. Big, oh, nice. Yeah. Big Broadway star now. Um, and like just, you know, just an incredible talent. She plays this showgirl and she has kind of like um, a super fan played by Alan Ruck, um, who was in succession and obviously was canon and fair to be stay off. And the whole premise of like the pilot, you know, he keeps going backstage to like, you know, try to woo her and go on a date with her and eventually. She says yes, and then they get like hammered, and then they end up getting married. Oh so, no! All right. So now that they're married, they go back to you know his hometown where his mother lives and where her dance studio is. Her, her you know, his mother lives you know, like on this beautiful property. And the dance studio is on that property. Um, he says he you know it was his house, but actually it's. You know, he, I guess technically he he has the house, but his mother lives there because the dance studio. Anyway, so this small town is leery about this new outsider coming in who, you know, uh, who Hubble, his name is Hubble, who Hubble married suddenly. And then the episode closes with the, you know, the mom in the show who is played by the mom in, or, you know, by, um, Kelly Bishop, who plays, um, oh my God, why can't I remember her name? There's Emily, Emily Gilmore. Emily and, Gilmore. Yeah. So, uh, she's also so, in Dirty Dancing, the mom. Okay. Yes. And actually, Kelly Bishop also um, comes from the world of Broadway. So, so we're in a bar. Sutton Foster. Really? Sutton Foster. It's Kelly Bishop. We're in a bar. They're hanging out. 
And then they they start to, and she goes, well, if you're going to be my fan, I'm going to have to be able to dance with you. So she puts on Jim Croce, and they start dancing to, uh, you know, don't mess around with Jim. And then all of a sudden, someone, this person walks in who has a crush on Pablo, and apparently got into a car accident with Pablo and dies. Oh! That's how the pilot ends! Yikes! Yikes. It's fucking crazy! <laughs> so, then, so then, so the whole premise of the show, the show only lasted 18 episodes, which is a travesty because it's a beautiful show. Um, and obviously I had a, a big attachment to it because I took dance lessons for 10 years ago. So it covers obviously this relationship with, you know, the mom, uh, sorry, Foster's character, and then the young ladies who take lessons at uh, her dance and it, it's very Gilmore-esque with pop culture references and everything. It's basically like, what if, if Gilmore Girls had a really fucked up pilot? Uh, <laughs> and, and then instead of taking place in Connecticut, it took place in sunny California. And it, it just, you know, it's it's a coming of age tale. It's funny. It's smart. And, you know, like I said, I, I had a real strong attachment to it just because I grew up dancing and I know like like that really shaped who I was as a child. And like it really instilled the sense of discipline and work ethic. And I can honestly say, like, without it, I don't know who I would be. Because it also kind of, you know, it it really introduced me into the power of music and how music kind of like you know, can touch someone and like how it can just kind of live inside your soul. And, you know, obviously now I, I write about music for a living and it, 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 you know, my relationship with music can really go back to being four, five, six years old, dancing in the studio in this, you know, wonderful, I hate to say cliche safe space, but it was like, I, you know, I, some of my best childhood memories came from from dance and yeah I, I have no idea who i would be anymore. yeah so that definitely leaves like an attachment to that show and it's interesting sure. too um like zooming out on amy sherman paladino i was looking into like her background and her mom was also a dancer and yeah. there was some kind of there was a little bit of pushback i think from what i could tell from her bio that it was like you know, she ended up going into TV instead of the dancing and her mom wasn't entirely thrilled about that. So maybe this was her way of like bringing that dance stuff back into her, you know, her sphere of creativity. I wouldn't be surprised um, at all because, you know, it, 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 yeah, it clearly had a big impact. And the fact that, you know, she was deciding, well, interestingly enough, her father was a comedian. Uh, so she had these fields of comedy, these fields of dance, and then that leads conveniently into the third major property from her, which is currently on as Empire right now, which is The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. So, uh, have either of you watched The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel? No, I haven't, honestly. I know that I saw a trailer for it on Amazon, so, like, I, I got the gist of, like, what the show was, at least in, like, season one. Is that the same, is it the actress... I, I can't remember if it's the same show I'm thinking of. No, I'm thinking of Fleabag. I was going to say, is that the person that's in the Indiana Jones thing? Ignore me. <laughs> that's fine. But uh, with, with Mrs. Maisel, you know, it's 
you know, she has said before, like this show, you know, that show is definitely kind of a tribute to her dad, who was a standout that he worked in comedy. And the show itself is loosely inspired by the life of Joe Rivers, who obviously, mm-hmm. you know, like coming up in comedy, like, you know, she, you know, it was the 50s and 60s, and she was, you know, this grassy broad uh, who, you know, was, you know, very Jewish, very married, and very much a mom. And yet she was pursuing comedy, which is, which was definitely one, not a field for women. Two, not a feel for mothers. And three, not a feel for wives. So, like, she was, you know, the show, you know, basically follows uh, Midge Maisel, uh, who's played by Rachel Brosnahan, who is brilliant. It follows, you know, her ups and downs of her comedy career. And uh, Alex Borstein, who played, who does the voice of Lois on Family Guy, she plays Susie, who's a... She ends up being Mitch's manager, but she owns a comedy club or runs a comedy club in the village in New York. And it's, you know, it's just, it's, there's, it's, it has all the big Asian Palladino hits, fast dialogue, um, references. Like, there's a lot of dance numbers and, and like big, like musical numbers in it too. Um, you know, definitely a lot of entertainment. Um, it, it it's it, it it is it is my shit. Like <laughs> I love this show so much, and it, it's you know for anyone who's a fan of Amy Sherman Palladino, like it's you know one could say it might it might be better than Gilmore Girls, and I only say that because they're dealing with Amazon money, and, mm-hmm. and let's face it, the WB which aired Gilmore Girls did not have that kind of money. Uh, even though it was a it was a quality show, but like there's a, like if you were to watch maybe like a couple episodes in the first season, the production value is fucking bonkers. It's crazy. <laughs> it's like like it's just it's kind of amazing to like see like look how far you've come. Look, look, I, like I I don't know this woman. I've never met her, but like at the same time, like during that first season, I was genuinely proud of her. I'm like look at you. <laughs> Look at what you've done. Look nice. at you. It was great. And with the um, thing that I've kind of noticed, too, uh, you were kind of talking about how there was a difference in production value and how, you know, some people may say, like, this is better. I, I think there's also a subsect, and I don't say this to, like, beat up Amy Sherman for any reason, but um, there's a subsect of people that have, of course, gone back and watched, like, old Gilmore Girls episodes and felt like there were a lot of, like, things that weren't wouldn't fly today like things that oh. didn't age well oh, you know course. so with within that it's probably it's nice to have like as as she's grown within her writing properties that reflect an updated sense of those things because i know there was a lot of stuff that was like talking about some of the toxicity of um rory and lorelei or the boyfriends that she had and stuff like that so i'm sure now it was a little bit different and edited to be more up to date with the standards that we have now socially well it's interesting too that that you mentioned that because yes like when you look back on like certain Gilmore Girls episodes, if I do like a rewatch or whatever, like there are certain lines that are like, oh, that one didn't age well. Oh, oh, you can definitely tell that two decades have passed. Um, but like 
with that consideration, the fact that like that Maisel takes place in the 50s, in like the late 50s. So the fact that with hindsight, you know, she has, you know, like, okay, I have to make this kind of, a, a, you know, a period piece, but, you know, kind of not super period piecey. Uh, it's, you know, they definitely kind of skirt those issues very um, uh, brilliantly, if I may say. Because, yeah, yeah probably use it as like a story beat too. Like if if oh. something happens, it's like no, this is this is more of what we would have hoped would have happened versus right. Yeah, definitely. Um, but like that shows in its final season, and like I have no idea kind of how this thing's going to wrap up, and it's it's a uh, it's a wild, it's exciting, and it, it makes me wonder too. I'm like, okay, so this show's going to come to an end. You know, like any writer, you know, the year's got to be a grinded away. Like, what, what's going to come next to her? Because, like, she's not, she's, she's, she's right. young. Like, she, you know, she's got to be, like, maybe, like, her early 50s. You know, so, like, she's got a lot of, uh, <laughs> so uh, now it's just me going, like, what's the next project going to be? And what kind of characters are they going to be? At the same time, though, I, okay, I know you, we've had that conversation about, um not to go all over the place um the criticisms of mindy kaling and how she's kind of written the same character over and over again it could be argued that amy sherman paladino has written the same character i thought that when you mentioned the thing about how it was the mom uh, of the guy that died in Bunheads, and then you have Sutton Foster. I was like, so you're having this dynamic again of mother and daughter almost, but now it's like mother and uh, married into the family daughter. And then in Gilmore Girls, it's mother, daughter, and daughter. <laughs> like yeah. you have that generational thing. So is there any like mother type characters going on in Mrs. Maisel? Is there anything like that or did it shift a little bit? Um, well, it's not the mothers who are the preventative character. It's the star. Like Lorelai and Midge Maisel and I can't believe I'm blanking on Sutton Foster's character and it kills me. But like if you I highly recommend uh well Bunheads is on Hulu. Um just watch an episode. Uh, because there's, it's very much like, okay, she, it's no secret that Amy Sherman Palladino has written herself in, you know, her main women characters are very much kind of inspired by her. Um, and I know, you know, people can be critical of that, and, and I understand the criticisms, but as I kind of said with you guys about maybe Kaylin characters, um, I like the Ramones in that which means I like a lot of the same So it doesn't bother me as much. Um, and, if the, and if the song is good, and you keep doing the same song a little over and over again, as long as it's, at least it, at least they have the nerve to copy a good fucking song, you know? So, <laughs> so, you know, it's, so, you know, I look at these characters and like, yeah, there are definitely parallels between uh, Lorelai, Sutton Foster, I have to look up what the hell Sutton Foster's name was on that show because it was bothering me, and Midge. But at least she had enough sense to, like, yeah, I'm borrowing from each character, but it's a good fucking thing. So, <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, so she's got that going for her, but that's good, right? Right. 
So as far as out of all of this stuff, what do you think are some of like your favorite pop culture references that came from these shows? Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> oh, oh God. Uh, well, it, oddly enough, I, some of my favorite ones are the ones that are incorrect. Like there's a whole bit in Gilmore Girls where they they fuck up hockey references. Uh, well, at one point, like Lorelai says to Rory, nice save, Gretzky. And I'm like, Gretzky wasn't a goalie. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, <laughs> and I'm like, I should have been in the writer's room. I I, like it's it's one of the things that like sticks out and the second hockey thing that they fuck up uh th- there's a whole bit where Lorelai and Rory go to Luke Steiner to you know because that's where they go and it, the place is the joint's empty and and the, including the town and they decide like oh we could sit on opposite ends of the the the, the counter and play bagel hockey and at one point you know, there's a there's a bitch, and there and either way, it ends with Lorelai saying, "Nah, now nah, he's now nah, he's old news. Put him in Cooperstown." And I'm like, "Cooperstown is the baseball hall of fame. <laughs> the hockey hall of fame is in Toronto." Yeah, damn it. <laughs> so, uh, so every time, like those really stick out. Um, when you any well, it's this is both in Bondheads and Gilmore Girls. When she writes dialogue for these supposed teenage girls, they sure do like referencing random TV and movies from the 1960s. <laughs> like, there's, uh, there's a there's a reference in an episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer that uh, I remember hearing somebody say, like, she would not have known that. That is a 40 year old writer in the writer's room. Showing yeah. that, you know, he read this book in college. Well, it's like, I don't know who Paul Anka is beyond that. Yeah. Like, I, I still couldn't tell you anything about him, <laughs> but they I mean, me- mentioned him a lot. <laughs> I mean, he, he, he was a singer. Is. Yes. I, yes. I hope he's still. Uh, Knock on every piece of wood right uh, now or we might have just killed him. <laughs> that That is a joke that we have. If we mention someone and then we question if they're alive or dead, we may have killed them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That would be, so, be the first body count this podcast has. <laughs> oh, if Paul Anka dies tomorrow, I'm going to be so upset. We I'll are sorry like- if... Just in case, we are sorry. I, yeah, well, here, let, now I now I gotta hold on. Now she's gonna look it up. Gotta yeah. make sure. Gotta make um, sure. So here's so a question for both of you guys. Yeah, like I I did a little bit of looking uh, before we we got here, so I'd have some kind of frame of reference for what we were talking about. Yeah. So I'm of the understanding after looking through Wikipedia that um, she leaves Gilmore Girls before they the show is over. Like they do at least one season without her. Mm-hmm. And we're currently watching Community, which also famously has a season without the showrunner. Is it obvious when they're gone, when she's gone from yeah, the show? But- you can, is it like, what are the things that you can pick out that you're like, eh, this is different now? It, okay. Well, when, when I first made my husband Eric watch the show, that's right, I made him watch it. Uh, you know, once it's the seventh season, it's the seventh and final season. Um, Amy Sherman Palladino and her her, her husband uh, Daniel Palladino they couldn't come to an agreement with Warner Brothers. Like it was a big contractual thing. 
That's what like to her exit. And I remember it must have been like maybe half an episode into the into the seventh season, and even Eric was like, "Yeah, this is different." Yeah, it just the cadence with which like the you know with you know that the the character spoken, uh, just just the way that they interacted it was a complete. 180 from what it was like there were still like Gilmore elements but like it, it was very obvious that she was not there to put her own personal touch on things and it, and like just from yeah between dialogue and the way people acted and it just it, it like it's it's I think I've only watched the seventh season two to three times all the way through um the rest of that honestly like there's a point in season five where i start to like get and like season six is is okay um but like it, it definitely gets you know the, the whole glory of it all the whole luke having a daughter come out of nowhere it definitely just just fucking jumps the shark there but man that first like you know four and a half seasons yeah definitely that's why i say like i only watched certain ones multiple times yeah i it might have been the fifth season where i dropped off like when i will rewatch because i'm not really as invested in it but i do remember being really not happy with that seventh season it kind of felt like it ended weird you know and then when they decided they were going to do that netflix thing I think you probably remember, like, when we got done watching it, I was still kind of like, I don't know how I feel about this. You, you know, I think the the tone, I think we were all anticipating the, the whimsical, fun, happy tone of the Gilmore Girls of old. I think that's what we all anticipated. What we got, though, the whole premise of the, you know, the, the I don't want to say, no, it's the continuation of the series. Um, it was structured, I don't know if Chuck knows this, it was structured into like four movies because, mm-hmm. you know, kind of playing in the background of Gilmore Girls, um, seasons play a big role in the show. You know, when it's, you know so these are albums. Yeah. <laughs> if you will. So like there was, you know, it started with, I think, yeah, it was winter, spring, summer, and then it ended with the fall. So that's how everything was structured in yeah. Unfortunately, the, the actor who played Richard Gilmore, Edward Herman, had died before this whole thing came about. So a lot of the series was Lorelai, Emily, and Rory coming to grips with the loss of Richard, who obviously played a big role in, in their lives. And then, you know, Rory's floundering. Like, she went to Yale to uh, be a journalist and now she's just kind of you know everything's up in the air like she's having sex with them. wookies as one does <laughs> All right. she yeah. ended up having sex with a guy that was dressed as a wookie at one yeah. point is a thing <laughs> so like she's she's spiraling uh professionally and personally and like everyone's just in a bad place and i i think yeah it like i haven't rewatched those episodes uh, mainly because it is, it's it's heavy. You know, it, you're you're watching, you're watching a family grieve, and yeah. and like mind you, when it came out, well, it's, you know, 
this was before my brother passed away. And like, anytime I have to watch something where I'm like, I know grieving is involved, like even that, like, I'm, I'm obviously better than I was when, when we first died in 2020, but it's still just like, this reminds me of this. Yeah. I, 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 I come to Gilmore Girls for happiness and lightheartedness. I don't want to, I don't want to be met with, with my own issues. No. And do you think that has anything to do with the fact that it's almost like I I look at shows from the early 90s now and I think to myself, like, you can't make shows like this anymore because the innocence is gone somehow within just culture in general. I feel like, you know, now if you're trying to make a show that is that lighthearted, you're always going to be faced with, you know, the... The controlling narrative of present day no matter what you do so like it seems to me like that innocence of that and the innocence of that type of town like as stars hollow if you look at it as like its own personal living organism it has such that that quaint small town feel but small towns aren't even like that anymore so i wonder if even somebody goes back and watches the old episodes that like they'd never seen it before if it would really translate the same way because of how different the world is now and it seems like to a degree when they did the netflix ones it was coming to that grips of reality of like this is what more so what the world is like now but on the uh, flip side of it is watching the shift of Rory's character because she was always portrayed as like this good girl this this very smart girl well-behaved well-adjusted very like things that you know probably like a lot of people can relate to but also being put on that pedestal because you know her mom was in the situation she was like she has the in and it's not like that isn't not an achievement or anything like that but rory being the one to like okay i'm gonna go to college i'm gonna do like all this crazy extra stuff and everything else and then she ends up still being such a disaster like that was the hard thing that i was having a hard time gripping with watching it was this like this doesn't feel like the same rory to me it feels like they're trying to push her to a narrative that she's going to become exactly like lorelei and that's how i felt at the end when you know spoilers she ends up pregnant Mm. and it's not the wookies oh well (laughs) Well, to explain to chuck and anybody else listening to this that's not familiar with the with gilmore lore um Amy Sherman Palladino had always said that she wanted, she knew the final four words of the series. And she was, this was how she was always going to end the show regardless. And obviously she couldn't do that uh, because she wasn't involved in season seven, which would have been the final, you know, season of the initial run. So when news of this, you know, sequel series came out, you know, the, the the crazy fans were like, oh, are we going to hear the final four words? And it's it's been like this hanging over like in the fandom and like we never, you know, like so like once it got there, um we like I, I remember like bracing like it's gonna happen. And so right. the final four words for it's it's Rory. Rory says, Mom. Lorelai says, Yeah. And Rory says, I'm pregnant. End of show. So, like, I, re- I 
for the first time, I, like, well, the only time, the only time I watched it, I went, oh, come on. <laughs> like, I, think, I think I, like, I was mad at first, um, but then thinking about it, like, okay, if she wanted those to be the final four words, she wanted her to get pregnant, like, right out of college, uh, which, you know, obviously isn't the same as, you know, being pregnant at 16, but, like, you know, graduating college about, you know, 22, 23, still very young. Um, and daughter out of wedlock or child out of wedlock. Right. So going back to kind of previously what you said about the whole small town thing, um, I think it could work because people still like escaping stuff. They they yeah. they don't they don't want to be reminded of the world they live in. They want. I think something- there's always a, a market for a Dawson's Creek or a Riverdale. Yeah, right. And um, there was a second point. Well, I I will say one show that I think did do it well. Um, it, have either of you watched The Middle? No. no. Okay. V- very wholesome family sitcom takes place in like a fictional city in Indiana. And it's it's just it's about this middle class family like living their lives and like there's three kids and you know two parents and they're just you know they're going about their their lives and the kids are growing up and it's it's the only show I've ever ever, ever watched where the show gets better as the kids get older. <laughs> I think we've all seen I've seen we've all seen those shows where like the kids grow up and it's like well this show knows no right. the show got better. It's the only time ever I've ever seen that kind. Of. Um, <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah. So yeah, going back to your original point, yeah, I, I think the small townness would work. I mean, you'd have to do it in a, you couldn't do it in like a, a leave it to Beaver G Wally kind of way, but you would have to kind of modernize it some. And I think, um, you know, going to Bunheads like she was able to kind of modernize it or at least put a spin on it because obviously you're, you're dealing with like these people from Connecticut, these weirdos from Connecticut. And then you're dealing with like this like seaside town in California where it's a little bit more, Hey man. Uh, So like there's, there's just a different vibe. Um, So yeah, I think, yeah, she, she, you know what they say about that Amy Sherman Palladino? She's a coastal elite. Uh, (laughs) It's like Stephen King setting all his stuff in Maine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> then we went to um, this is a little just a little interlude here. We went to a coffee shop when they were doing the Netflix thing because specific designated coffee shops got like a uh, Gilmore Girls Luke's Diner type package. Do you have a mug? Are you looking for that? Like, I feel like I have it in storage somewhere. It's got to be overused. There was a quote on the side of the paper cups. They did have some merch and stuff like that. But it was really cool to have that experience. And they ended up doing it for the locals. It was at Chisano in Ferndale. Is that considered Ferndale? Is that considered Hazel Park? I think that's still Ferndale. It's like very east, east. Yes, it was right near where I crashed my car. Ah, okay. Um, So it was cool to have that experience. I was I I liked getting to do that, obviously, with you. And we skipped like the first hour of work to go do it. But in the name of work, we're like, we're going to write about it. (laughs) We were gone for like the whole goddamn morning. Who are you kidding? Because this like, first of all, brilliant marketing ploy you know, rebranding local coffee shops 
around the United States as loops for a day. Hilarious. Brilliant. And uh, like we because we were in line for a long ass time. Yeah. Yeah. There was probably I want to say like for some reason, this number is jumping out at me about this. So I feel like we were like 37 and 38 in line. If I'm not mistaken, I don't that know why like. my brain retained that information, but for some reason, that's what my brain is telling me was happening. And it was it was cool, though. You got to, you know, have that experience. I wish they would have done a teeny bit more inside Chisano for it, like decor or something like that. But like they just kind of had the coffee and the paper cups and stuff like that. But that's why I joked when I was saying like, you know, Oh, yeah. Like, I'm going to talk about this because I know the lore. I drink the coffee. Coffee is a very big part of the Gilmore Girls situation. Okay. And like you've you've heard um, I had that one video that I posted on social media where all it was saying was coffee, 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 mm-hmm. coffee. That is from Gilmore Girls. It's all these different moments in which either Lorelai or Rory are so invested in needing coffee. And I feel like. I, I, I identify with that so much being a caffeine addict. <laughs> so coffee is a big part of that lore. Um, is there anything that you feel like that people need to know or specific reasons as to why you'd want anybody to watch any of these shows? Um, I mean, I, I think the only thing to, to really say, like it's, it's one of those things where like, okay, do you like smart writing? Do you like, you know, laughter? Do you, do you, do you like, like fun? <laughs> you, yeah, like because like all these shows have. I mean, there's there's you know different like you know troubling points and like points of contention and, and, and stress and whatnot. But for the most part, like they're just really fun shows. And and if you're a fan of you know women centered programming. Uh, which is, I mean, definitely a hallmark of, you know, even, you know, from her bigger titles to her lesser titles, like, these are shows, I mean, mind you, it is very much, you know, a show written by a white woman. Let's, let's just put that out there. Like, you know, you know, Amy Jordan Palladino has no business writing for, you know, women of color. But if, you know, if chatty, you know, whimsical, smart, entertaining, you know, strong white ladies as you think, watch these shows. <laughs> Do you have any questions? I think the only other question I thought of was that is there um I mean it sounds like Bunheads is obviously your favorite show, but is there among the fandom that follows uh, her writing, is there a specific show that is kind of universally thought of as like the best thing she's ever done? You know, I, I don't know if Bunheads is necessarily my, like, it's hard to say what my favorite show is, because they, the, the, especially the, the, the main three for me, like, they they mean something different to me, you know, individually. And they kind of, I can connect to them on, on different, in different ways, and, and I can relate to them due to certain experiences throughout my, you know, so far, you know, short life. Um, so I've already, I've already lost your question because now I'm thinking like, well, what is my thing? What is <laughs> universally, is when you talk to other fans of her writing, what is the, is it, is Gilmore Girls the thing that everyone is like, yeah, that's the best thing she she's ever done. Or it's, have one of the other shows kind of surpassed it in the fans' minds? 
I, you know, if, if any show is going to surpass it, it's probably going to be Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. And, I mean, simply from a a um, critical standpoint, because Gilmore Girls never won any awards. And I, don't, I think like it will see very few nominations. When Maisel's first season was nominated for like I'm pretty sure that they, they damn near swept the entire comedy uh, uh, categories. And it felt, I mean, one, they deserved it. Uh, that first season is absolutely brilliant. But it certainly felt like, you know, the Television Academy was like, you know, we we really dropped the ball on not recognizing Kilmore Girls. So, you know, you did a you did a a, a really good show. So we got to we got to recognize it for this. Um, I, I feel like Gilmore Girls is going to be the entry point for a lot of people, mainly because there's the most um, content, and I, I feel like it is a good place to start, if only to see kind of how. Yeah, obviously, like there's some similarity in the style of her writing and the way she writes her characters and really this sweet. But it is fascinating to see how much she's grown from, you know, Gilmore Girls uh, premiered in 2000. We, it's, it's, you know, it's been 23 years. That's a right. long time. Uh, and so, like, clearly, like, her storytelling, like, there's the core of her and who she is is still there, but there is definitely, you know, there is an evolution. I like to know, I, I like having the information that Gilmore Girls starts at the peak of new metal. <laughs> oh, oh, and they, and sh- there are a lot of jokes at the expense of new metal. So you may not like that. You may not like that at all. I mean, to love new metal is to also make fun of new metal. It's Let's true. be honest. Like it's if true. you're if you are into new metal and you don't make fun of it, I don't feel like you're truly into it. You know, especially Limp Bizkit. Well, keep in mind too, like you can like I think maybe that's also another reason why I have a strong connection is because the you know the through line you know one of the through lines through a lot of these shows is is the music views. And like going back to Gilmore Girls, like when there's a, you know, Rory finally loses her virginity um, and she loses it to um, her first boyfriend, but they're not together at that point and she's married. So it's sticky. Um, but the song playing in the background on the radio is Lou Reed's Satellite of Love. I love Lou Reed so much. <laughs> <laughs> so like having like songs like that or having, you know, there's like a really good usage of, of, um, of Bowie in, um, oh, it was the man who sold the, well, who sold the world. Uh, it's, <laughs> so, but I, I shouldn't even go down this rabbit hole, but either way, it, it soundtracks Lane Kim's first kiss with like her first boyfriend. And it's, it, it it's, oh, it's just that, it's that type of warm, fuzzy feeling where it's just like, just, just hook it into my veins. <laughs> this is it. It's good needle drops. There's a lot of good needle drops. Yeah. Did you ever like learn of any music from it? Um, you know, I probably learned about a lot of people probably learned who Claudine Loger is from Gilmore Girls. She is just a a French pop star. And um yeah, she like she I think she I don't know, I think she may have killed someone. Either way, she a sticky personality but uh, there's like a i think it might have been in the first or second season where lane puts her on they're at you know rory and lorelei's house and 
Lorelai at this point was still in community college trying to study business. And so they're playing this music and she's like, who is this? And at this point, oh, it's Claudine Moshe. Or I think the girl who killed the skier. It was, oh, it was, no. <laughs> yeah. So it, so like there's that for sure. There's a great exchange with Lane who has, um, um, do you guys know Mojo magazine? No, I don't. It's, okay. It's a UK publication. Brilliant. I bought so many copies of it in college and like, you know, it, at Barnes and Noble and it paid the cover price, which was probably like, Twelve dollars for a fucking magazine. Yeah, but I could piss away my yeah. Money. yeah, yeah. I could piss away my money back then because you know I was twenty and I didn't have a fucking care in the world. So I'm like, yeah, twelve dollars for a magazine. Um, but they have a book of like a thousand one albums you should hear before you die. And there's a record store near Rory's fancy prep school, and you see there it opens the links like, okay, I need this title, this title, and at one point she goes. Yeah, the Bee Gees, this, and Lorelai goes, what? And she goes, well, Mojo says. <laughs> and, she goes, and then she names off a bunch of other titles. She goes, and after that, I will have made my way through the 60s. And <laughs> so it's like, it's little, it's little nods and stuff like that. Like, there's a great scene in like, the, I think the second episode where she comes over and she has the latest album from Ecstasy. And so like, it, it all of a sudden, like, they start playing after the house, and then uh, Lane is found in Rory's room skanking um, <laughs> to, to uh, just rancid, and Lorelai go, you know, like, opens the door. She's like, yeah, Lane, where, where does your mother think she is? I'm sure she knows she, you're not, you know, at our house skanking to rancid. Uh, so, like, it's little things like that. So, like, it's it's just it's just a smart show. I feel like I identified a lot with that character as a side note, like Lane and her mom. There was a lot of that. I mean, like there's a lot of cultural codedness because Lane is of Asian descent. So there's a lot of that. Some of I feel like some of that, the way that they painted those characters could probably be perceived as not so good at this point. But one of the things that was with Lane was like she because of that, she wasn't allowed to listen to certain things at home. Mm -hmm. She had I think if I'm remembering this correctly, she had like a floorboard that moved and would keep all of her CDs hidden under the floorboards so her mom wouldn't find them and i felt like there was something about that that was very identifiable to me just because of the way that i like not to get messy with me but like how i was brought up a lot of the things that i was really interested i kind of had to hide them because they were perceived not not okay by my parents standards even though like it wasn't even bad stuff it was just culture you know things that my age wanted to see my age wanted to enjoy and something about lane was very like she had that attitude of like once she found more music and more things she was more rebellious she was more interested she starts this band and all this other stuff and kind of comes into her own and i thought like that character was very well built but her character is very much a vehicle of connecting with music overall which made that very interesting yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, you know, when the show, I didn't even watch the show during its initial run. I came across it, like, in syndication and, like, just hearing other people talk about it. And a lot of times people would say to me, like, you should watch this show. This this character, Lane, 
is basically you, except your mother's not overbearing. Um, and if I wanted to rebel, like I would have just listened to folk music. So, <laughs> oh. so yeah, like it was little differences like that. But like Eric is in a room listening to Dylan again. <laughs> look, look, if you ever want to, like when you see my mother again, if you ever want her to go on a rant, just be like, hey, Linda, what are your thoughts on Joni Mitchell? And she, has, she will go off. So, yeah, if I ever wanted to rebel against my mother, I would have just brought home a copy of Blue and just played it. Yeah, just there. Oh, I raised you better than this. This will be my my last little question here, because we both went into music journalism and it's like, I know that yours is like more like you identify yours as like almost famous as your entry point to journalism. But did you ever feel like part of that could have been also like Rory going to school for journalism and those connections with music within the show? Because we both watched the show at like a formative, somewhat formative age. Like, do you feel like that at all contributed to that? You know, maybe slightly because like, once again, I didn't watch the show during its initial run. I graduated from high school in 05. And um, I think like, I probably got into the show during college. So like at this point, like I knew I'm like, this is the, this is the thing I want to do. I want to be a writer and, uh, and, and, and pursue that. And if anything, it maybe didn't steer me on the way, but it maybe just kind of confirmed, like, yeah, you're going to be okay. Yeah. I think, yeah. You got to go do it. Go do this thing. <laughs> do this uh, thing that everyone says is a terrible idea. <laughs> uh, in the middle of a recession. Yes. <laughs> str- struggle for like 18 months after graduation. And and eventually, you know, you'll, you'll come out on the other. It's, it's all worth fun. it in the end. One, one of these days, you're going to be thrilled by getting a dishwasher installed. Okay, <laughs> it's all going to work out. It's all going to work out in the end. You just you just got to work your way through it, kid. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. <laughs> all right, we have come for full circle, and uh, I'm going to quiz Chuck here real quick before no, we'll we that. get off. We'll do that in the next. Segment. You want to do that in the next segment? Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Okay, well, thank you so much, Erica, for everything today. Thank you for sharing your love of Amy Sherman Palladino with us. Um, let everybody know where they can find you on social. Oh, okay. Uh, Twitter and Instagram at Erica E R I C A underscore Vanis B S boy A N S. Um, Twitter, I'm not super active, you know, anymore because Twitter's trash. Um, but occasionally I'll tweet out some stuff. And um, basically my Instagram has turned into me sharing photos of my adorable dog, uh, which is great, which is wonderful. Everyone wants dog content. And we I love puppy content. One. We love those pet, pet content. <laughs> she is just, oh, man. I, I think she's now entering her teenage phase or in her puppy years. She is such an asshole. Like this, like it's just every day I'm like, you're lucky you're so fucking cute. So lucky you're cute. I said I just want to throw you across the room at this point. But I do love her so much. And if anyone ever tried to hurt her, I think I like I've never seen John Wick, but I know the premise of it. I'm like, yeah, I could I could kill someone if they killed my dog. 
Yeah, I if anybody screws with your pets and you wouldn't kill them, you shouldn't have the pet. Yeah. <laughs> That's my headspace. <laughs> yeah. Harsh rule. I can't fault it. <laughs> All right. Like, we, we, we will end it here. Thank you so much. And uh, we're going to go into our next segment. So we'll see you on the other side with our serotonin boost. Welcome back to the Really Big Fan Podcast. You can follow us on all the social medias at Really Big Fan Pod. And of course, you can download the audio version of the episodes on Friday mornings. And you can check out the YouTube version, the video versions on Thursday night. That was that was a heck of a of an interview there. Yeah, I, I end up the thing is is that me me and Erica are both wordy. And I apologize to anybody who listened to it on the podcast that right. can't tell me and Erica apart. Right. Because we enunciate things similarly. Like there's there's certain nuances and differences if you really know me and Erica that you can tell us apart. Yep. But I have a feeling sometimes it's hard for us because we tried to do a podcast ourselves at one point. We did one episode. And when we listened back, we were like, oh, my God, we sound too much alike. Yeah. There's no way you could tell who's talking. <laughs> right. What the hell? And it, 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 I, would, I had to have come up with a voice or something. So been funny. You try to do some kind of you would just have to do uh uh what is it salad fingers? Oh yeah, oh. just the whole time I just have to talk like salad fingers. Right, exactly. I like it when the red water comes out. What is this garbage? Or, or I could do that, no you know. Way. Well, then I would just sound like I'm from the Bronx or something. No way. <laughs> Drinking out of cups, being a bitch, Mister Walk Me Down the Walkway, lead me to the building. Fuck you. <laughs> so do you have a quiz for me? I do. I'm gonna. I'm gonna really soft lob you here, so you're fine. You're still gonna bomb it, but I'm gonna soft lob you. All right. What are the three names of the shows she mentioned? Oh, that one I could do. It's Gilmore Girls. It's Bunheads, and it's the marvelous Miss Maisel. Yes. There we go. All right. I win. One of three. One of three. (laughs) All right. Um, name, uh, either two specific references that you remember from that episode like like certain things that you learned like coffee it's all Gilmore Girls is all about the coffee you and Erica went and got the yeah the coffee at the at the thing yep and, uh do you know any character names or any character styles that we mentioned no. <laughs> come on that would so I know that Sean Gunn has a lot of jobs. That's that's where I was looking for that. I was like, I thought if I gave it to you that way, you would be like Sean Gunn. I, Do you remember his character's name, though? No. Kirk. Not at all. <laughs> Not even a little. And uh, the last thing is going to be more of a preference question, because I don't want to, like, okay. be too hard. But, like, what what about what we shared was the most interesting to you? Um... I think the idea, like, I still don't really have a good grasp on what Amy Schumer... Was. Sherman Palladino. Sherman Palladino. That was also going to be another I, question. I, I was going to be like, do you remember her name? Nope. <laughs> I don't feel like I have a, a very good grasp on uh, what her writing style sounds like. Mm-hmm. Like, you guys described it very very well. But until I, you know, like, sit down and watch a five minutes of a clip of something from some one of her shows, like, I still don't exactly understand what the in the same way that i think if i described to somebody who had never watched a joss wheaton thing yeah how his stuff like you don't really understand what the voice is like until you hear it absolutely uh, the people kind of quipping back and forth and you're like oh that's okay now i get it it's not as easy to 
see in what I posted. But if you do go to our Instagram, when I announced like we were going live, yeah. I pulled some clips. They were just um like gift stills of the show or whatever. But one of them that I showed you was Emily and Richard. That's Lorelai's parents, Rory's grandparents. Right. And he's like, no self-respecting woman drinks two glasses of wine at lunch. You're like a whore or something. He says something like that. And she goes, well, get me a feather boa and take me to Atlantic City because I'm open for business or Reno or something like that. And so like that's the type of like quippy back and forth stuff where like the there was a one that I showed you that Luke and Jay, um, is this, what is his name? Oh, I'm blanking on his name. Oh, my God. Um, her first boyfriend, Jess, that's what it was. I knew it started with a J. Um, Luke always wears plaid with a backwards hat. And then Jess is working at the diner and he comes in dressed as him to piss Luke off. And he's like, what? I thought this was the uniform. It's, it is like a lot of that, but See, it's, it's pretty clean when, comedy. When you showed me the screenshot, I thought he actually did think that was the uniform. I no, didn't know that he was doing it. Oh, no, he was doing it to, to make fun of I thought he was because that's... That's his son that he didn't know he had. Yeah. And so he's very rebellious and a pain in the ass. I was like, this is why I love Milo Ventimiglia and why I was like obsessed with heroes and Gilmore Girls is because he was in it. And, you know, for better or for worse. <laughs> I thought Milo's character in Heroes was the most boring one. Really? I thought I thought I was pretty much into almost anybody else on that show. See, I liked him, but like we've also had the conversation before that I really liked Siler. Yeah. Guy. Yeah. And like, that's why I love Zachary Quinto was that show. That is the first thing I ever saw him in was that. And that was kind of like his big. He shouldn't have come back. Exposed. When they and killed him at the end of season one, that should have they been should, That should have been it. Absolutely. Luckily, I've gotten to see him in other things like Star Trek. Oh, yeah. And um, he was in some of the seasons of American Horror Story. And that's been cool, too. Yeah. Very creepy characters, albeit that Asylum season, he is yeah. like very horrifying. But. He's very good at that, too. We were kind of talking about villains earlier today and saying, like, you know, people like them are actually really nice. And really yeah, usually, like, they get all the venom out, unless you're Chevy Chase. Yeah, unless you're Chevy <laughs> Chase. Then you're just horrible all the time, and they have to kill you off shows. All right, well, let's uh, get to our serotonin boost as we wrap up this week's uh, really big fan podcast. My serotonin boost this week is DMX. Um, so last week they released the full trailer for the Transformers Rise of the Beasts movie, which I may have mentioned that every, as we get closer to that movie, I get more and more hype about like, man, I gotta go see this movie. Whereas when they first announced it, I was like, I need to stop giving Paramount money for making bad Transformers movies. But then the closer I get to hearing Peter Cullen saying, let them come on big, and then seeing Optimus Prime on a big screen, I'm just like. Yeah, I gotta do that. I gotta see. And you were sitting there going like, like when he first saw the first trailer, he's, I'm not gonna go see it. And I'm like, see that bullshit. Garth. Immediately, I'm like, bullshit. As soon as it gets closer, you're gonna be like, well, maybe I can go and see it on like a Tuesday. Right. Like, cause AMC does $7 Tuesday nights. Yep. And plus, why would you not want to put your hand over your heart and stare into the eyes of Nicole Kidman and hear our true national anthem? I applaud. <laughs> So uh, that I was like, there's no way you're not going to see it. You're right. And but here we are. So the trailer comes out last week and it's got DMX's Rough Riders behind it. And it's like a remix and it's kind of cool. And I'm like, man, I haven't listened to some DMX. And people that listen to our previous show know that like DMX is how we used to blank out the swears, which was really fun. Um, so I go and I look DMX up on, on a streaming service and I see that like his most recent 
release is a version of X going to give it to you with the Czechoslovakian symphony orchestra. And I listened to it and I sent it to you and I've been playing it for everybody in my life the last week and going like, how has this not been in a movie trailer yet? It's so epic. It'll probably be in the next Jordan Peele because he always does that. Epic. Like, Honestly, um, Rob Hervilla, I keep talking about this fucking podcast, I'm yeah. sorry, but 60 Songs That Explain the 90s, he brings up the fact that, like, you know, there's those moments where they do, like, they slow down a song to make yes. it more dramatic or add these extra undertone beats. And he goes, there's so many songs that they do that with, and they're all amazing. Yeah. One of them, I think, was it was I Got Five on it. Okay. And uh, that's by the Loonies. Yeah. And one of the dudes that do that sings that hook did not get royalties until, like, 2008 or something like that yeah. so that entire time in the 90s he didn't get paid for any of that that's why and the fact that it was in get out like it had a resurgence and luckily he got that right but like anytime that they do that it's so cool so with the dmx one i was really into it but like at the same time i was like i feel like there could have been a different arrangement in it to where it would have felt more epic it, it doesn't is- feel like it's not a full 100 for me. It's like an 80%. It is not perfect in that, like, they are playing, because obviously DMX is not with us anymore, mm-hmm. so they are playing to his vocal track, and his vocal track isn't perfect timing. Yeah. So during the first verse, like, he speeds up, gets, like, past where the beat is, and then comes back and is behind the beat a little bit. Um, but just the flourishes they stuck on the chorus bit are just, if I was a Final Fantasy boss, <laughs> that would be the music that played as I was casting fire three on you or something like that if i was if i was professional wrestling i would come out to x gonna give it to you and then at wrestlemania come out to that yeah that would be dope that that would be your cm punk afi moment it would it It would yeah i would come out to a symphony orchestra playing x gonna give it to you so yeah if you haven't checked it out get a streaming service check out the symphony orchestra version of x gonna give it to you pretty awesome pretty awesome um, so I kind of been not paying attention to things all week because I've been updating my websites. I moved my zine over to uh, its own URL. So now I have acronymzine.com and acronymis.com. So now there's two websites because I'm a psychopath. Anyway, it looks a lot better. It looks more legitimate as a media site. But within all that time, I really didn't do much else this week except work on things. So the only thing that has been in my life is when we sit down for dinner, we've been watching Community. And the serotonin boost for me this week is the Dean rapping dressed as as a payday bar. It is like I had seen that clip so many times before I ever watched Community. So it was funny because when I started watching Community with you, we watched like the first two seasons and we stopped. But even before that, I had seen that clip and there's a super cut of Troy Barnes yeah. doing a bunch of random things. So like every time that Lou is running around, I'm like, he's all terrain, dummy. Exactly. Like those things. I would always say that even though like I hadn't seen it in the episode yet because I'd seen these clips. But this the Dean rapping as a payday and he comes in and he starts like he sounds really lame at first. And then he starts getting into it. And then he was like, oh, Barack Obama is scared of me because I don't spit rhymes. I drop them for free. Clear my throat. Ha, ha, ha. And then he drops the mic and goes, I don't know what that was. Just a, I don't know what that was. And panics and runs away. And it is Crying. my favorite thing right now. <laughs> and then you 
add a little bit more sauce to it is that there's been an artist in the media, Jack Harlow, who said he was the second hardest white rapper since Eminem. And everyone's been trolling him because he's so wrong. He's He's absolutely wrong. And so I retweeted it and put that clip there. A picture of Jim Rash. No, the threaters of payday. (laughs) No, literally, I put the clip there. I retweeted it and was like, you are wrong. And that really, it should be Mac Miller. Mac Miller should should take the title after Eminem. But, but Jim Rash. Did you did you recognize when we watched the Harley Quinn show? When his voice comes yes. up as the Riddler, had yes. we watched enough community at that point that you were like, oh, that's the D. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, okay. And and they made the Joker, or not the Joker, the Riddler bald. They did. Yes. So, so it looks like Jim Rash. Or it looks like Jim Rash. Right. And then you hear the voice and I'm like, oh my God, that's the Dean. Yeah. <laughs> but like the Dean has become one of my favorite characters because he's so ridiculous. Absolutely. And we just got to the part where Keith David joins. Yeah, we're in the final season that was on Yahoo, which yeah. is is fascinating for me because I only watched it the first time they aired it on Yahoo on a, like a weekly basis. So I don't really remember very much. I remember that Keith David was in it, mm-hmm. but you know, like getting to like the episode we watched last night with Britta's parents, I'm like. Oh, I forgot this was a thing. I forgot Bruce parents were, you know, in an episode of this. Yep. And then, like, all of the friends, even uh, Ken Jong, she goes, Benjamin, he goes, I got bit by a cat. <laughs> they all scream. Yeah. But, like, she knew his mom, her mom knew his name. Yeah. And so, like, all of her friends. All of her friends had been talking to her parents behind her back is really what the story is. But, like, like I saw Keith David in that other episode, and I I love his voice acting. Yeah, so much. And like one of my favorite things he's ever done is um the uh the voodoo man. I forget what his name is. Oh, from Princess and from the Frog. Princess and the Frog. Yeah, he does the song. Yeah. Oh my God, it's so good. Like that is the best villain song in like the last. 10 years yep. because like Disney doesn't crank out stuff like that anymore that was really cool because they did the animation style but he was amazing I think that Keith David is in that final season of Community as a uh, a favor to Dan Harmon so that Dan Harmon will put him in Rick and Morty as the president <laughs> but don't quote me on that the timeline on that might be a little screwy I also really love him in that <laughs> the turkey episode is my favorite oh, yeah. episode of the Keith David stuff, other than the Give Swifty episode, obviously. Right, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, that's going to do it for this week's really big fan podcast. We are here every Wednesday morning at 1130 on twitch.tv backslash really big fan pod. As I mentioned earlier, you get the audio podcast on Friday mornings. The YouTube video drops on Thursday nights. I usually try and rerun the episodes Wednesday night for people who can't make it on Wednesday morning at on Twitch and play a lot of video games on Twitch as well. I didn't get to play games with you last week, but I think we'll remedy that this week. Yes. yes. I think we'll get back to maybe playing some Donkey Kong Country or something like that. And, um, oh, make sure you visit our Patreon. Patreon.com slash reallybigfanpod. Become a uh, become a patron. Give us a little, little scratch so we can continue to do this. And we will, I've already got, I think, like the next three to four guests kind of lined up. We just have to work out the scheduling. But uh, next month is going to be uh, full of really big fan pods. Of course, We've got pre-comic book day coming up this weekend. There's um, the Guardians of the Galaxy movies coming up. We'll try not to spoil it for you next week when we talk to you. And uh, May's going to be full of stuff. It's going to be fun. This is the May. This is the May. Absolutely. (laughs) So we will talk to you guys next week.
there was this tweet that I saw that was saying that when you commit to a bit that pisses off your partner, that is the most fun thing in the world. I disagree. Yeah. No, I think it's when you commit to a bit with your partner to piss off the rest of the world. <laughs> that is that is the key. That is way more fun. You guys do that all the time too, Erica and Eric. It's like second nature to you guys. Yeah. Like, well, I mean, we've been together for, you know, we'll be married for 10 years next month. You can see that shit. Like there's, there's certain things that we do that like, I'm sure if anyone knew, like there's, there's certain friends of mine, if they knew of our various cutesy inside jokes, they would, I think, honestly, they would probably just boo us. Just be like, <laughs> right. oh, no. Right. Oh. That's, that's what I'm saying. That's better. Cause now you have a partner in your terrible humor. We've got one that we've been working on that has a musical component. It's true. Uh, so we, when you're talking on podcasts, you don't always talk about other podcasts, but we're obsessed with this one called 60 Songs that explains the 90s. It actually has 90 episodes, not 60, but they're not changing the branding. Don't get involved. That's a joke <laughs> from that. Um, but we listened to the Oasis one and we were talking about how Noel and uh, Liam Gallagher are constantly fighting. And he brings up how the two of them actually were charting for an interview because they were having an argument in an interview and somehow this charted in the UK. Okay. But the whole bit is that during this argument, they just start yelling like brothers. So for the past like week or so now, every time one of us decides to say the word music, right. The other one starts yelling, you want to be Keith Richards. Cause that's what like for a good 30 seconds, they're just back and forth going, you want to be Keith music. Richards. You music. want to be Keith Richards. Music. And like, it goes on for like, like a whole solid minute of them just doing that. And right. I'm just like, Oasis is never getting back together. <laughs> there's no way I, I, no. yeah so that that's our new bit yeah <laughs> to do that in the middle of a crowded grocery store is a blast 